Our scripture passage comes from Matthew chapter 4 and 5. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord, we plead with you, help us to hear your word. Help us to receive your word. Help us to be changed by your word. Lord, my longing and my prayer for today is that those gathered around your word would be changed by it. Those gathered around your word would meet with you and say, yes, I want to know the Lord in this way. Where we need to be rebuked, rebuke us. Where we need to be stopped, stop us. Where we need to be encouraged, encourage us. Where we need hope, give us hope. Where we need faith, please, oh Lord, give us faith. Lord, we're pleading that you would work in us and through us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So good to see you guys this morning. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5, book of Matthew chapter 5. Normally at Redeemer, we work our way through books of the scripture. Um, Right now, we're in a a multi-week series multi-week series of considering this biblical theme, the kingdom of God. So we're considering the theme of the kingdom of God. And so today, I want us to look at the passage which Chris just read for us. And this really is the question, what is the blessing of belonging to God's kingdom? What's the blessing of belonging to God's kingdom? And What I think we're going to see is that if we define success and peace and comfort in the ways that the world tells us to define those things, we're going to be disappointed in God's kingdom. Or if God radically reorients how we evaluate success and peace and joy, then the kingdom will be the balm to our souls that we never even knew we could need. 
So the invitation of Jesus in this passage of Scripture is to allow yourself to be flipped upside down. Allow your orientation to the good life be shaken in such a way that you say, I want the life that Jesus came to bring, and and I'll find joy in that. So over the next two weeks, we're going to wrestle with this question of what is the blessing of the kingdom and what's my role in the kingdom? So today's more about motive. It's about believing that the blessing is there and believing that the blessing is good and asking the Spirit of God to reorient us so that we long for the kingdom that Jesus actually came to build. I mean, the most simple statement I could make that I think encapsulates all of the scripture is if Jesus is the king of the kingdom and he came and lived and died and rose again and rules and reigns over the kingdom, then he gets to set the guidelines of the kingdom. Our challenge is to find joy in what the Lord offers. So what we're going to see this morning is that the kingdom is the ultimate blessing. The kingdom is the ultimate blessing of God to his people. It comes to us through Jesus. It comes by the Spirit. So if you want to take notes, first point, a kingdom talk. A kingdom talk. Now here's what I'm trying to do here is I want to position this passage in what we're talking about. I'm not taking a popular teaching of Jesus and saying, oh, let's call that the kingdom. What's happening in Matthew 5 is Jesus is actually sitting among his people saying, this is how you live as citizens of my kingdom. That's what he is doing. Now, don't take my word for it. Let me see if I can convince you of it. So we're going to go back to chapter 4, verse 23. It says that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So Jesus is going into um, religious gatherings and saying, the kingdom that you long for is here because I'm here. He actually went so far as to stand up and say, I am the king of the kingdom. Jesus stood up in a synagogue, read, this is recounted for us in Luke chapter 4, read a passage from Isaiah and said, this prophetic word of God is fulfilled because I'm here today. Can you imagine me giving a whirl at that? If some of you didn't come up here and tackle me and beat me, we have a problem. Only Jesus can say that because he is the king of the kingdom. But his message was, this is the kingdom. It's here. He's preaching it. Then the passage says, his fame spread and he gathered people from all the regions. They were following him and they were beyond the Jordan. Then chapter five, verse one says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now there's some debate about which disciples this is, but I think minimally this tells us that a subset of the multitude came up to be around Jesus while he was teaching. 
Was it hundreds? Possibly. Was it thousands? Possibly. But, but they came and gathered around him. Now, I love the, um, the clarity and the uncreativity of the, the Scripture writers. We'll call this the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because Jesus sat on the mountain and gave it, right? I mean, like very, just very matter of fact. I, I think we could call this the Sermon about the Kingdom. Or a kingdom talk. And, and, and I, I vary from the word sermon, not because I'm afraid of the word sermon, but I'm afraid when you hear sermon, you think Sunday morning, really nice clothes, in pews, sitting, listening to someone talk, and then going home. Got to beat all the other denominations to the restaurants, all those kind of things. But these people were joyfully gathering around Jesus, and he taught, and he taught, and he taught. And scholars believe that this was an entire day, and maybe more, of him laying out, like, let me tell you, let me teach you about life in my kingdom. Um, and the theme of this sermon is the kingdom. Chapter 5, verse 3, right out of the gate, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5, verse Nine, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for blessed is blessed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5, verse 19. Whoever does all the words of the law and teaches all the words of the law will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 6, verse 9. When you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus goes on and he goes on. The theme of the sermon is life as people of the king. The theme of the sermon is how do we live as people of the kingdom. That, that's the theme of the sermon. So... Jesus is giving a sermon, a sermon about the kingdom of God, and he's speaking to the people of the kingdom, the community of his followers, about what that life should look like. Now, before we go any further, here's the first question before us. Am I a follower of the king? Do I identify with Jesus, with his redemption, his blessing, and his work. Now, some of you are like, hold up, hold up, preacher. You're supposed to put the invitation at the end of the message. Maybe, maybe not. It's not in the Bible, okay? But here's why I'm putting it right here. John chapter 3, Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. These beatitudes, these blessings spoken in Matthew chapter 5, they are for those who see the kingdom. They're for those who belong to the kingdom. The beatitudes aren't be poor in spirit and you will potentially get to be in the kingdom. They're not mourn and you might be comforted. They're not 
Be meek enough and you'll inherit the earth. They're not hunger and thirst for righteousness enough and you will be satisfied. They're not be merciful enough and you'll receive mercy. They're not be pure enough in heart and you'll see God. They're not be peacemaker enough and you'll be called sons of God. They're not blessed are the persecuted and be persecuted long enough and you'll inherit the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is saying. The kingdom is only inherited when the spirit of God or it reorients who we are and causes us to see our need for Jesus. We call that new birth. We call that new life. We call that repentance and faith. And here in the South, we call that getting saved. Okay. But the kingdom is only entered by new birth. So what's happening in this sermon on the hill is Jesus is saying, but if you're the people of the king, this is how our, this is how our kingdom's going to look. This is how we're going to live. Well, what if I don't like it? The king determines what the kingdom will look like. Our evangelism must include coming to Jesus is exalting him as king and exalting his ways above all other ways. So Bryant mentioned earlier, like, is this the beginning or the end? And kind of landed on yes, right? We just baptized two boys to say, I'll walk with the king for the rest of my days. Yes, Lord, make it be, right? But we all were baptized into that if we're followers of Jesus, every single one of us. So this isn't up for debate. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a Twitter poll, yay or nay. Jesus said, this will be what my kingdom people look like and how they live, okay? So that pushes us. Second point, a new mindset, a new mindset. Before we get to the what's, I think we need to understand that what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he wants to take the commonly held wisdom and expectation of the world and of Judaism and flip it completely on its head. What Jesus wants is people who are aligned with him and his ways. And by definition, it doesn't align with the world. We're hardwired that success and the good life and the blessed life comes from working hard, performing, getting, and keeping, right? That's, that's what the world tells us every single day. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom will be about death to self, clinging to me, and clinging to me, and clinging to me, and clinging to me, and believing that as you cling to me, you'll get everything that you could ever need, and believing there's actually more joy there. I'm just going to keep chasing this, and we'll get to the text, and we might be out of here by like 4 o'clock today, okay? Um, 
look, the clock's broken back there today, so I can just go as long as I want to. It's a mountain. There's a horizon. We're never going to get to the end. Sorry, you, you should all look at that picture. It makes more sense if you turn around, I promise, okay? Um, but um, where was I? Okay, let's flesh this out. We need a new mindset for the promises of the Bible to even register with us. So let's just say that you're a workaholic. All the men in the world are like, We at church might say some things like, well, I need, to, I need to repent of being a workaholic. I need to draw, have some better boundaries and, and all those things, right? But here's the thing. Until we get a new mindset, my worth is not defined by my paycheck or my title. I'm not going to check out at a reasonable time and come home and pursue the things that the Lord's laid out before me. It's the new mindset that reorients the new behavior. And I really believe the Beatitudes are as much about conviction and mindset as they are action. Believing that the blessing of God is better and believing that the blessing of God comes through the ways of Jesus. Hypothetically, this could, could, it's not, but it could be the gospel. You're sinners I've died to take away your sin. I'm going to steal all your fun and all your joy and make this life terrible, but you get to be with me forever. That could have been the message. And many of us actually function like that is the message. But it's not. Here's the message. You're sinners. I'm going to come and I'm going to live and die and rise again to take away your sin. And I am going to open your eyes to see that there's actually a better way a more joyful way, a more fruitful way, a blessed way. I'm going to show that to you, and you're going to enjoy it, and then you're going to look back on your life before Jesus, and it's not even going to make sense, except that there's this inexplicable joy and peace and comfort and hope that you never would have thought you could have, and it didn't come in the ways that you thought it would come. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Now, let me see if I can show you that. So it's a new mindset. Repetition means something in the scripture. You know, alliteration can mean things, except when you've got a Hebrew Bible and a Greek Bible translated into English, like alliteration just gets obliterated, frankly, okay? But repetition comes through. Repetition is intended to get our attention. It's intended to focus our attention. It's intended to say, listen up. So if repetition means anything, what's the theme of Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 11? That's a question you can answer, by the way. What's the theme? Blessed. Blessed. It appears nine times. The word appears nine times. So the resounding, repetitive theme is blessed. I guess it's blessed, but if you, were, if you speak King James, it's blessed, okay? So we learn how holy you are based on how you say the first word of verse three, okay? I'm just kidding, that's a joke. 
I just like a two-syllable word, so I'm going with blessed, okay? Blessed is theme. Now, because of the repetition, what's intended to jump off is blessed, 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 blessed. So we gotta gotta ask ourselves the question, what, what does it mean? Literally, the word means happy, fortunate, or favored. But we just can't say happy in our modern culture because we miss the point, right? I say happy, and you're all like, my heart is happy, I belong, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. And if I could eradicate anything from the world, it would be this phrase, your best life now, or living your best life. Like, like please, no, that's, that's not, well, anyway. So I'm not going to go with happy. But that's literally there. So how are we to understand this word blessed? The scripture actually uses the word two ways. It uses it when men say God is to be blessed. And it uses it when it says that men are blessed by God. Okay? So if you you read the Psalms, you'll read blessed be God. And we're like, he's God. Like, why does he need me to, right? But blessed can come about celebrating Telling of greatness, singing praise, worship, celebrate God. Oh, okay, that fits. Blessed. Extolled. But then the scripture speaks of man being blessed by God, which, which gets to man being favored by God. Man being able to truly enjoy a celebrated position before God. Man being able to know true joy. Blessed. Blessed. So the invitation is to a new mindset that brings with it God's blessing. Not in that earning sense of if I do this, but in that sense of if I go to the lake I will get wet. If I am in this posture, God's blessing is is there to be experienced. And the blessing is not just vague, like God blesses. It's very specific. Verse three, the blessing is to belong to the kingdom of God. Verse four, the blessing is to be comforted by God. Verse 5, the blessing is with the people of God to inherit the earth. Verse 6 is to be satisfied in God. Verse 7 is to receive mercy. Verse 8 is to see God. Verse 9 is to be called sons of God. Verse 10 is to belong to the kingdom of God. Verse 12 is to know there is great heavenly reward. These blessings have a now and then to them. They have a tangible and a spiritual to them. But the blessings are God's favor upon his people that allows his people to know true and lasting and enduring joy. And if you can define happy as... 
true and lasting and enduring joy, then you can say to know happiness. So the, the invitation is to see the kingdom as a life of God's blessing that is better than anything that the world could ever offer us. Significance, it ultimately comes from the Lord. Position, it ultimately comes in belonging to Christ. And we could go on and on and on. So here's the second question for us today. Do we believe that God's blessing, as defined here in Matthew 5, is better than anything else the world has to offer us? Let me just be clear, guys. If you don't right now, it's okay to admit that and ask the Lord to change your heart. Ask the Lord to reorient your mindset. He knows it anyway. You might as well lean in and cry out and ask for help. Additionally, I would say this. The more our mindset looks like valuing these blessings is a sign that the Spirit of God is at work in us. Because the more the Spirit's moving, the more we're going to value the things that the Spirit values. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but next week's passage is going to be Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay? If there is something that we have to seek first, that means there are many other kingdoms that we're a part of. So the goal would be that the blessings of the kingdom would trump and supersede all the other blessings that we think the world can offer us. The blessings of the kingdom come from God alone in the way that God brings them. So maybe some of you biblically are wondering like, well, Who's going to give us the kingdom? Who's going to comfort us? How are we going to inherit the earth? Who's going to satisfy us? Who's going to give us mercy? Who's going to cause us to see God? Who's going to call us sons of God? Who is going to bring us into the kingdom of God? Who's going to bless us with reward in heaven? And the good Sunday school answer is God, right? But the linguistics actually shout for that because the first word of every the, the first word of every one of these verses, blessed is we got to do nerd for a minute, okay? It, it, it's something in the Bible called a divine passive, which means it, it's worded in a way that the original hearers would say, "Oh, that doesn't have a subject because God is the subject." It would be known and understood. So maybe a better English way to read this is. God's blessing will be upon the poor in spirit as God will give them the kingdom of heaven. That might be a clunky way to read that, but that's actually in the linguistics there for us. So the blessings of the kingdom come from God to his people. Question people of God. 
Do I truly believe that the blessings that God brings are better? Am I willing to value those blessings above all the other blessings that we might pursue? Fame, wealth, position, meaning, acceptance, all the things. Like whatever our things are that keep us in therapy. I'm pro-therapy, by the way, not anti-therapy. But whatever those things are, are we willing to say that what the Lord comes to bring is actually the freedom from all these things? Because that's what this is calling us to. Final point, the unexpected path. How do we, how do we move toward the blessing? If I believe that the blessing is better, what's my life going to look like. This isn't a checklist for blessing. It's a a picture of the heart and life of a Christ follower, a a heart and life. It's a a portrait of a Christ follower. It's a portrait of a member of the kingdom. And these things just don't square with how we think about success and building and importance. They just don't. So much so, and I'm going to stress the year. In 1974, 1974, um, one of my theological heroes named John Stott said about this passage of the scripture, either this is the least least understood teaching of Jesus or the least obeyed teaching of Jesus in all the Bible. Because when I look at Christians, I don't see the Beatitudes characterizing who they are. And that was before the last two years. What's the portrait of a citizen of the kingdom? What's, what, what are the postures of a kingdom citizen that pursue God's blessing above the blessings of the earth. Number one, and in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit is acknowledging our spiritual bankruptcy, our unworthiness and our dependence upon God. We sing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's the song of conversion, and that's the day-by-day song of a follower of Jesus. Except for what the Spirit of God has put in, I am spiritually bankrupt. And to acknowledge and to confess my spiritual poverty is the the connection to the abundant blessing of God. Watch how this works. Father, I have nothing. You receive the kingdom. See how the Lord's pouring his blessing out? Yeah, it's those who recognize we have nothing that get the ultimate blessing. 
That's kind of the upside down nature of the whole thing. John the Baptist summarizes this so well. It's recorded in John chapter 3, verse 30. Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Second, and I know I could preach one sermon on all eight of these, but we're going to press on. Second, verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, what we're going to see in these Beatitudes often is that real life experiences are used to shape our posture toward God. So I say mourn, we all think death. We all think bereavement. We all think the grief of loss. And by the way, Jesus will comfort us in that grief. But more than saying we need a lot of bad stuff to happen so that we can mourn, this passage is we will take that same bereavement posture of mourning and sorrow and mourn and sorrow, take up sorrow and righteous longing over the fallen state of the world, over my sin, over our sin, and over the world's rebellion. The kingdom response to sin is sorrow, not finger-wagging. And I can gently and lovingly say that behavior is wrong and I can do it from a posture of mourning. I don't have to do it from a posture of arrogance and bravado. Third, this blends right into the third verse five. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meek means meek. It means humble. It means appropriately gentle. Meek is an antonym to aggressive, harsh, and tyrannical. Linguistically, meek cannot mean aggressive, sinfully, harsh, or tyrannical. Now, some of you are like, but Jesus cleansed the temple with righteous anger. Yes. Yes. And there will be times for us to stand and defend. But this says the posture of the kingdom is to be meek. Within Christendom right now, there is an out and out intellectual theological attack on meekness. It's being said that Jesus doesn't need our meekness. He needs us to stand up and defend him and defend his kingdom. There are times, but let's default to blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Fourth, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, 
Jesus is using physical hunger and physical thirst as well-known metaphors for yearning and desire and longing. And he's saying those who yearn and desire for righteousness in its legal, moral, and social realms, those of us who hunger and thirst for righteousness will ultimately be satisfied because Jesus feeds righteousness. It's like if you're longing for what mama's cooking, you're going to love Sunday lunch. And if you're not, you're not. So he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied because Jesus does the works of righteousness through and for his people. Fifth, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The merciful are those who see a need and display compassion for those in that need. Let our stances, our proclamations, our declarations, our living and our working be driven by a manifestation of mercy for those who are in great need. Sixth, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart means pure in being, pure in all of who we are. Only Christ can bring us that purity, but yet these these continual exhortations to to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit and repent of our sin because the kingdom is here, say we're a part of seeking purity. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemaker literally means to make peace. You can spend six years in seminary studying Greek and Hebrew, and at the end of it, peacemaker will still mean to make peace. Stephen, correct? Okay, he's the only person I know who's done that. Okay. Um, So Jesus is saying that the... The, the mindset and the lifestyle and the portrait of the kingdom is to seek reconciliation with God, reconciliation with one another, reconciliation within the church, and as much as possible, reconciliation within the world because of the peace that he's already brought us. Blessed are the peacemakers. Eighth, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying 
that those who seek him and his kingdom will endure hardship in this world. Reviling, evil spoken against us, and true persecutions. He says, when that happens, take heart. You're in good company. The prophets were persecuted too. Man, think about the calling to be a prophet in the Old Testament. If I lie and I'm wrong, God says I'm supposed to be killed. And if I'm right and I tell the truth, I'm likely to be killed. Just unjustly. (laughs) Sign me up. Nobody ever, right? Peter goes on to say that we are strangers and exiles in this land. The citizens of the kingdom will suffer for the kingdom. And Jesus says it's actually a blessing. He also says that it's a blessing to suffer for the sake of righteousness. So there's two kind of applications here for us in our modern world. Being a jerk about truth and suffering for being a jerk is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying suffering for the truth. Which means, church of Jesus, I think these verses call on us to stop trying to make a world where we won't suffer for standing up for Jesus. I think that's what he says is a sign of your faithfulness. Lord, let it be that we're a people who so love righteousness and so love the king and so walk in his ways that we're reviled, that we're spoken down about, that evil things are said about us and we endure hardship. Lord, what if we were counted in the company of the faithful prophets of old. Oh, and by the way, the company of Jesus. All right, pastor, what do you want me to do with this? I want you to, number one, as we talked about, consider, am I ready to be a follower of Jesus? If that's where you are, and that's a new thing for you, like, like talk, please come talk with us. Please let us pray with you. Please let us help you move in faith toward Jesus. But if you're like, I'm a Christ follower, okay. When I look at the value system of my life, and by value system, I don't just mean my morality. I mean the way I do cost-benefit analysis, the way I make the decisions that I make every day. When I look at the valuation system in my life, Do I see a kingdom metric at work or something else? Or maybe a better question is, where do I see a kingdom metric at work? And where do I see something else? And then the prayer would be, Lord, give me a kingdom metric. And then third, to a bunch of Bible-believing Southern evangelical Christians, I want to hold up Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. And I just want to say, will you join me in reading it? 
and not making excuses? Will you join me in taking Jesus at his word and leaving out your yeah, but arguments? And say, Jesus, reorient me and my family and our church the way, the way we need to be. Guys, if I had an 18-point plan, I could make that next week's sermon. But I'm just inviting you to say, would you make me the kind of people, would you make us the kind of people who are truly poor in spirit, truly mourn, or truly meek, truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, or truly merciful, or truly pure in heart, are truly peacemakers, and are truly persecuted for righteousness' sake and not for any other? We're going to talk more about this next week. But for today, that's where I'm praying that the Lord would work. So our Father and our God, pray now that by your Spirit you would speak to us and you would convict us and you would motivate us and you would captivate us and you would push us where you would push us. We pray for the glory of your name.